0: Hello, this is London to a Guide, Richard Walker, with the second part of the Polly Nichols story. When the 34-year-old Polly left her home and family on the 29th of March, 1880, she must have been in a desperate state. Was it jealousy of Rosetta Wolves? Was her mental state changed after the birth of her fifth child? Had her husband William turned nasty, as Polly's father said? Possibly, as William Nichols said, she'd started drinking although the records of the Peabody buildings do not show that Polly had such a problem, and Peabody superintendents would note down any problem with drinks by any resident. Whatever the reason, the woman was desperate because she went to the Lambeth Union workhouse. Having lived her life first in the hard-working family of her father, and then her husband, she would have grown up with a fear of the workhouse. She would have known that she would be treated with disdain, clothed like a prisoner, expected to do hard physical work, poorly fed and certainly no access to alcohol. On top of that, she would have known how big a step she had taken when she left her husband. She had failed. Her duty was to her husband, whatever she had to endure. And as a mother, she must never forsake her children. It was a big step she took, and we can never know what finally pushed her to take that step. It seems that Thomas Taverner, the relieving officer at the Lambeth Union, was not wholly persuaded by William Nicholls' version of events, because he decided that William should pay his wife a maintenance of five shillings a week. A year or so later, William decided that the five shillings would be better spent on setting up a home with Rosetta Wool's and his growing family. He hired a detective, and evidence was presented to the Lambeth Union that Polly was sharing a room in Holloway with a George Crawshaw. Whatever evidence there was, and Polly denied that she was living with a man, when the maintenance stopped, she had no choice but to move back into the Lambeth Union workhouse, where she stayed for almost a year, after which she could take it no more. She found a home with her father and her brother's family, but it wasn't an easy relationship. Not helped when Polly would return home the worse for drink. In 1884 she moved in with a blacksmith, Thomas Stuart Drew. He was widowed and had three daughters to take care of. And it seems he offered Polly a settled home. Then, in June 1886, Polly's only sibling, her older brother, received third-degree burns from a paraffin lamp which had burst into flames when he went to extinguish it. Polly was deeply affected by the terrible death of her brother, and it may well affected her relationship because by November 1886 she and Thomas Drew were no longer together. Polly was once again a woman alone and with nowhere to go but the Lambeth Union workhouse. The following year, 1887, saw the celebration of 50 years of Queen Victoria's reign. Her Golden Jubilee was celebrated on June 20th and 21st. Princes and potentates from all around the world arrived in London. The streets were decorated and the people lined to cheer the grand procession with Queen Victoria riding in a magnificent coach, escorted by her elite troops. But 1887 was 14 years into the Long Depression. The Long Depression began with the Panic of 1873, a financial crash that began in Vienna but spread throughout Europe and across the Atlantic. In Britain, it led to 20 years of economic stagnation in which Those at the bottom of society suffered most, so that five months after the pomp and ceremony of the Golden Jubilee, the first Bloody Sunday took place in Trafalgar Square. On Sunday, November 13, 1887, 2,000 Metropolitan Police officers, backed up by 400 troopers of the household cavalry, broke up a mass demonstration of more than 10,000 on a day that became known as Bloody Sunday. For weeks before Bloody Sunday, people had been gathering in Trafalgar Square in huge numbers. During the chilly nights of October, as Hallie Rubenhold writes in her excellent book, The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper, weary old men and women in ragged battered bonnets propped themselves up against the wall below the National Gallery. Shoeless children rolled themselves into balls in the corners and slept like small dogs. William Thomas Steed, the editor of the Pall Mall Gazette, walked through the scene of bodies in the square one night, shaking his head and scribbling on his pad. Four hundred sleepers, men and women promiscuously side by side, I count in the shadows of the finest hotels in the world. And, writes Hallie Rubenold, slumped at the base of one of the lions or lying with their head against the bench was Polly Nichols cold and anonymous on the 24th of october polly along with five other women and two girls was arrested they'd been begging beside the national gallery she was sent to a workhouse and then through the winter months of 1887 into 1888 polly was finding shelter wherever she could when the pennies allowed she paid for a bed in a doss house more often than not though she was forced to find shelter in a workhouse On the 16th of April, 1888, she ended up at the Renfrew Road workhouse. The absence of alcohol in the workhouse probably helped restore Polly, because by the 12th of May, she was deemed to be of suitable character, to become a servant in the middle-class home of Mr. and Mrs. Cowdrey. And during the first week in their home, for the first time in two years, she communicated with her father, who had Polly's eldest son living with him i just write to say you'd be glad to know that I'm settled in my new place, and going all right up to now. My people went out yesterday and have not returned, so I'm left in charge. It's a grand place, with trees and gardens back and front. All has been newly done up. They are teetotalers and very religious, so I, I ought to get on. They are very nice people, and I have not much to do. "'I do hope you are all right, and the boy has work. "'So goodbye for the present. Yours truly, Polly. "'Answer soon, please, and let me know how you are.' "'A secure place to sleep, three meals a day and a comfortable home "'had to feel good for Polly after the desperate life she'd been living. "'But the sole companionship of the devout middle-class couple and their niece "'may have been a mixed blessing.' Long summer days thinking of the family she'd lost and missing the temporary escape that alcohol effortlessly provided must have taken its toll. On July the 12th, two months after she had arrived, Sarah Cowdery wrote to the Renfrew Road workhouse that Polly had absconded with three pounds and ten shillings worth of clothing. At the beginning of August, Polly was at a lodging house that only catered to women, Wilmot's lodging house at Thrall Street. Spitalfields. During her three weeks' stay, she seems to have made one friend, Ellen Holland. Ellen was an older woman who described Polly as melancholic and said she kept herself to herself, as if some trouble was weighing upon her mind. By the 24th of August, Polly's money had run out and she had to leave Wilmot's. And again, Polly was homeless, hoping each day she could get some money for a bed and also for alcohol. The last week of August would be the last week that Polly spent alive. We'll save that last week for the next podcast. I hope you'll join me for that one. That may be join me on my Jack the Ripper's Whitechapel walk. Until then, thank you for listening. Oh, goodbye from me, Thunderwalk Tour Guide, Richard Walker.